This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Two is underway. Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. Producers everywhere. John Khalil is here. Cam is here. Taylor's here. Is is Brody on the beach still over there? I'm leaving now. About time. Show only ended five hours ago. What are you doing? We're doing our, our weekly email blast. Got to get the news out there, you know? Spend a lot of time here. That's, uh, that's Brody on the beat, Alex Brody, who uh, apparently brings you your email blast here on Sportsnet 960 as well. Uh, hour one in the books. Finished up a chat with Pete Labardius and Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, getting you set for the Flames and the Maple Leafs tonight. And we will continue breaking that down from a Flames perspective in just a couple moments here. We'll uh, get some game day audio from the head coach, Daryl Sutter, Michael Backlund, and Mackenzie Weger as well. Reminder, 7 o'clock puck drop. Six o'clock Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg and Pete Labardius for tonight's matchup. But did want to remind you as well, NHL trade deadline coverage coming up here on Sportsnet 960 on Friday. Looking forward to it. Going to spend a couple hours uh, with Pete Labardius bringing you the latest from around the league. Our trade deadline coverage. Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar and our good friends at Tuxedo Source for Sports. Right up until deadline day, we chased down every Flames trade rumor swirling around the city. And on March 3rd, we've got you covered all day with coverage live from the Saddle Dome. If the Flames make a move, you'll hear it here first. Brought to you by Tuxedo Source for Sports. It may be trade deadline season, but it's time to gear up for another great ball season. Southern Alberta's best selection of bats, gloves, and everything you need to be at the top of your game is at Tuxedo Source for Sports, 2520 Center Street North. And Taylor, one of my outstanding producers here on the afternoons, uh, apparently we're just going to have massive trades every single day up until Friday. Nothing's going to happen on Friday. No, nothing. It's on the bingo card. It's just ridiculous. In case you've missed it today because you have a life, and you just can't, frankly, keep up with all of the nonsense throughout this league. Here is the latest just from today. The Boston Bruins. Yes, those Boston Bruins. Who you just saw Tuesday night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Who have won whatever it is, eight in a row. Are the top team in the NHL by 13 points. That team that was desperately in need of help went out and made another move. Today, they have acquired Tyler Bertuzzi from the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for a 2024 first-round pick that is top 10 protected and a 2025 fourth-round pick. So the Bruins, who are going to be without Nick Foligno and Taylor Hall, who are now on LTIR, I don't know, Taylor, they kind of upgrade all of a sudden. It's not just replacing players now. We're just upgrading things in Boston, and they make another huge move today. Yeah, like I texted in our group chat this morning, I'm kind of scared of Boston right now. Like, why do you need all of these phenomenal players when you already have your own set of phenomenal players? Like, what are you planning for? Uh, just world domination, apparently. I, they're, they're I don't like it. They're doing a pretty it. good job of it. 
Just taking everybody. Everybody. And at the same time, making their uh, own superstar players feel pretty good about themselves. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, well, it's all going to blow up in their face in the offseason. They're not going to win a playoff round. And then they're going to lose David Pasternak for nothing. Uh, You would be wrong. Oh, no, no, no. The extension has come in. Uh, David Pasternak will be a Boston Bruin for the foreseeable future. They agree to an eight-year, $90 million contract extension for David Pasternak to remain a member of the Boston Bruins. His current deal set to expire at the end of this season comes into the cap hit of just about $6.6 million. That will raise up to $11.25 million next year. And it's hard to say that anyone's underpaid when they're making $11.25 million, but David Pasternak may be that rare cat that's in that uh, category because 60 games into this season, he has 80 points. 42 of them are goals. He had 77 points in 72 games last year. He's had a 95-point season under his belt and constantly in the prime of his career has flirted with 40 to 50 goals and will clearly lead the Boston Bruins into the future once Patrice Bergeron, perhaps Brad Marchand decide to hang things up. Uh, But for the time being, things look pretty good if you are the Boston Bruins. That wasn't the only deal uh, and news from the league today. Chatted a little bit about this with Pete Labardius earlier. Uh, How about this storyline for Jonathan Quick? left for dead and discarded by the team that he backstopped for 16 seasons in the LA Kings, helping them to Stanley Cup victories, being part of the face of the franchise there for years. He shipped off earlier this week to Columbus, the 32nd overall team in the NHL as the Golden Knights, excuse me, as the, um, LA Kings shift focus and bring in Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Corposalo as rentals. Well, now a division team has swooped in and decided that maybe they can make better use of Jonathan Quick than the LA Kings could because the Vegas Golden Knights have acquired Jonathan Quick from the Blue Jackets in exchange for Michael Hutchinson and a 2025 seventh round draft pick. Now, Jonathan Quick is not the Jonathan Quick that won uh, Stanley Cup titles for the LA Kings. He is by no means that same person, but the Vegas Golden Knights are so far down the goaltending depth chart. Jonathan Quick is a much needed add for a team that has Laurent Bressois, Logan Thompson, and Robin Lehner all on IR right now. Aiden Hill has been getting the majority of their starts, but they needed somebody with NHL experience. They get Jonathan Quick today, and uh, before you know it, not only could these two teams meet up in a playoff series, but there is a matchup coming in early April, the 6th, I believe. The Golden Knights and the LA Kings meet for the final time this season, and wouldn't it be interesting if the Vegas Golden Knights and Jonathan Quick have something to say uh, about what happens to the LA Kings down the stretch. Uh, so those are the the latest today. Uh, there has oh, there's also another little weird cash transaction happening with the uh, Arizona Coyotes. They're taking on more uh, LTIR money. They get Jakub Voracek and a sixth round pick from the Blue Jackets in exchange. Uh, for John Gillies, and this is a conversation for another day because I, I prefer having the conversations about players and people that are part of organizations right now. Uh, the Coyotes just racking up players that will never play for them. Right now on injured reserve, the Coyotes have Voracek, Weber, Ladd, Brian Little. They also hold portions of Oliver ekman Larson's contract and the deal they did with Vancouver and 2.625 of Patrick Kane's money. So just a casual, what does Cap Friendly have here? Oh, $28 million on they, IR for, uh, for Arizona right now. 
they're just building a team full of players that are never going to play for them. Like they have a great roster right now. Oh, it's they better than any roster they've ever had. Oh yeah, they just need a goalie, and then they're good. Yeah, when Carey Price initially decides that he's done, and his contract will remain for three or four years, just know it's going to come to the Arizona Coyotes, and they will, for you know, like a seventh round pick, hold on to that money. Or maybe like for the next three years, Di Pietro's twenty-seven million year. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be something like that. It'll be it'll be something exactly like that, and it's it's ridiculous, and it's something to talk about when it comes to you know working your way around the cap, because this will help the Coyotes in the off season reach the salary cap floor, which they will need to do because they're not paying many players to play at an NHL level right now, so. We'll see what happens with that. But that's the latest from around the league. Uh, 960-960. The text line always open to you here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. And we've got a couple of uh, texts coming in while we were just getting updated on all the latest trades. Uh, Yes, the Calgary Flames, one of the few teams around the NHL that have not made any significant transactions. Uh, since the season began. That's wearing on a few people, uh, as this texter points out. Uh, How are we not taking advantage of the great returns teams are paying? We'll bounce back next year and then not be able to afford all of our UFAs, just continuing to pave our way to mediocrity. Yeah, I have no idea what... I, I don't even know if the Flames know what they're doing at this point. It's a very weird situation. Everybody else is seeming to get in on the, the trade deadline business, except for Calgary. And, and really the Florida Panthers at this point are the only other team that haven't made a major transaction in the calendar year of 2023. Could that change? Sure. If you listen to Elliot Friedman, who joins Jeff Merrick every day on the Jeff Merrick show, the constant name that seems to come up from Elliot's reporting is that Carolina is in discussion with Calgary about a potential top nine forward. Does that mean that it happens? I have absolutely no idea, um, but we'll see. Uh, there's every opportunity, I would think, within the next 24 hours for the Flames to get something done, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see whether or not that happens or not. A couple more uh, of your texts here before we get to some Flames game day audio. Uh, Noah texts in, says, New York, Boston, Eastern Conference final is going to be a war. Uh, yeah, you could say that for like, what, six teams in the East right now? I know Carolina's only gone out so far and picked up Jesse Puyarvi, but I still like that team a lot. New Jersey, New York in the first round is going to be insane. Patrick Kane said to make his Rangers debut on a line with a uh, former Chicago Blackhawk pal, Artemi Panarin tonight. We talked about Boston and Taylor's fear of them in the next couple of weeks. I don't blame her for that, by the way. Toronto and Tampa have both made significant moves. The East just looks like a murderer's row right now. Uh, And this text says in regards to the David Pasternak one, will he still be that same player after Marchand and Bergeron move on? That's a really interesting question uh, as to whether or not he'll be the same player post Marchand and, and, and Bergeron. Um, now, he hasn't played the majority of this year with those two guys. It's actually been Jake DeBrusque that's got the majority there. Uh, but to that texter's point, the other guy that he has been playing with this year is David Krejci who's back on a one-year contract, and I don't know how long he is to remain in the NHL. So, yes, the majority of Pasternak's line mates the last couple of years could be gone sooner than later. Can he still be a 40-50 to goal guy, 90-point guy without Marchand or Bergeron or all those guys on the power play? I don't know. But he's 26 years old. That's not an asset that you are going to let walk as a UFA for nothing if you're Boston. You, I think, 10 times out of 10, sign him to that deal and try to figure out 
ways to build around him post Marshan and Bergeron than losing him potentially for nothing. Uh, a couple more texts here. Uh, somebody texting in about Pat. And I'm not, I don't even know what that means. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, this text says, I cannot believe Vegas gave up Hutchinson. Yeah, who could have seen that one coming? The sixth goaltender on their depth chart. Uh, this one says, hey, Logan, love the show. Where do you think Jacob Vrana goes? Do you think it would be wise for Calgary to pay, say, a third-round pick for him? I wouldn't mind that. Vrana's an interesting case because for Detroit to give up on him in the way that they have has to raise red flags. And I'm not just saying that about a guy that's been through uh, the player assistance program between the NHL and the NHLPA. There are there's a long list of reasons, you know, it can be substance issues. It can be mental health issues. It can be a lot of things um, that put you in that spot to go into the assistance program, whatever it is and whatever it's become has turned Detroit to the point of, you know, essentially just looking to ship out a guy who's 27 years old and has some pretty, credible NHL numbers behind him the last couple of seasons that he's been healthy. That's a big red flag. Uh, if you're the Calgary flames, do you think that that's a chance you're willing to take for a guy that has another year on his contract at 5.25 million? I think if you could convince Detroit to pick up some of that salary, I'd have that conversation, but you'd have to do some digging as I'm sure GMs have, to see exactly what it is with Jacob Rana that's turned Detroit so negative on him because that kind of fits right in their wheelhouse. Going back to that Anthony Mantha trade, he seemed like a piece that was going to sit there for a while and be a, a contributing member to Detroit. And now, like the texter says, he's, he's pretty much open for business when it comes to, to moving him out. The salary next year could be a bit of an issue, though. Uh, this text says the Bruins better hope pass is as good as he is now after all those guys are gone. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, a big one for sure because they're going to lose some major talent the next couple of years. And um, can a lot of those guys, can DeBrusque be as good? Can Pavel Zaka, who's been a nice fit there, can they all be that good or close to that good when you lose guys like Marchand and Bergeron? Uh, it really does feel like a really important year for Boston to make some noise. Uh, and then George from Airdrie, last one we'll uh, read here before we uh, hear from head coach Daryl Sutter. He texts in and says, if Calgary's goalies continue to lose the next four or five games, would the Flames actually bring up Wolf for the remainder of the season? I don't know. I, I don't know what their feel is on that. Uh, my feel is I wouldn't. That's just me. Um You've paid this tandem. You remember not long ago this year, Dan Vladar received a, a healthy extension for the next two seasons at a considerable pay raise. This season to me is about Jacob Markstrom or Dan Vladar figuring it out in the last 21 games. They are paid to do that. The expectation is on them to do that. I don't think it does Dustin Wolf enough good to come up and be part of this situation or because the, the biggest problem I have, and it's not a, a lack of faith in Dustin Wolf. I've never seen him at an NHL level. I have absolutely no idea what it would look like based on the numbers that he's put up at every other level of his career. Do I think he could have success? Yes, absolutely. Could he have success? He's had success at every level. But at some point, you have to put the onus on the guys that are here to get the job done. And B, I don't know development-wise where it helps Jake, where it helps Dustin Wolf to come up and deal with all the expectations that come with that. Because I remember Sven Berchi coming up as an emergency recall for the Calgary Flames when he was still playing with the Portland Winterhawks and having a couple of games go in where he scored some goals and he was already a very highly thought of prospect. And then the expectations exploded through the roof for Sven Berchi. 
And as soon as he came up to the NHL on a regular basis, it was, why weren't you that guy again from the emergency recall when you had nothing to lose? And I am a bit cognizant of doing that to Dustin Wolf because he is a seventh-round draft pick. He has been great for this organization in the role that he's been in right now, but I don't want to put the savior tag on him. I don't want him to come into Calgary and have his first experience be go into that NHL net and we need two points out of you tonight. I don't think that that helps a young man develop into an NHL starting goaltender. That's how you throw guys to the fire, and I think that's how you can really mess with a guy's confidence. Dan Vladar and Jacob Markstrom have been there. They've been in the NHL long enough. They should be able to, to handle that. And if not, then there's no reason why heading into training camp next year, Dustin Wolf can't be part of the conversation uh, of, of who can take over the net for Calgary. That, that's perfectly fine for me. I'm just a bit, I just don't know if I'm willing to, because I know what it's like. I see the text line. We get questions like that all the time about Dustin Wolf. I know Pat deals with them on the Flames Talk post-game show all the time. And I just, I don't want him to have to come up to Calgary and be forced into being this team's savior. I think development-wise, it makes more sense for him to stay with the Calgary Wranglers, continue to have a great season with them, and then come in when everybody else gets that fresh start in the fall and into the next season. That's just my opinion on it, though. Not saying if you want Dustin Wolf up that you're wrong and I'm right. That's just my thoughts on it right now. I promised you some uh, Flames game day audio. Let's get to that now. Head coach Daryl Sutter previewing tonight's matchup and what he needs from his group against the Toronto Maple Leafs later on tonight. Here is Daryl Sutter from the Saddle Dome a little earlier today. Toronto Maple Leafs in town. What's your pre-scout on them? Or? Uh, watched them last night. Obviously, we played them once already. Interesting, just doing it um, between the two, not just because they're changes, but because of the schedule and injuries, rosters, all that. There could be 13 different players in the lineup tonight for both teams. That's a lot. Play teams twice a year. Does that change your approach at all with the number of new faces they've got? No. We just keep focused just on our group, I think. It'll be more important. Maybe score aside, Daryl, what have you liked about your starts here in the last uh, handful of games? You know, you just got to put shifts together. Like you're trying to get an over and over attitude with your group. So, uh, and when you get into your schedule again, when you're doing, when you're in a busy schedule, you you, know, you can't have any. You need close to eight games from everybody. Since you brought Walker back up or more put him back in, yeah. what's been sort of your assessment of, of what you've seen from that that line with Lewis and, and Luch? I think they're really good last game. I think they tailed off at the uh, end of the trip again, but I think they're really. I think they tried to make a difference last game. I think uh, Walker alone gives you know gives you some speed there, which makes a big difference. I think that's visible. Sort of a, a little different schedule than we're used to seeing from your group with back-to-back optionals. What's the thinking behind that? Because of a lot of overtime games, you got guys playing heavy minutes. We saw a couple of the Leafs players kind of get traded mid-practice and the guys escorted him out. I wonder if for you, uh, is there a memorable trade day or a trade deadline moment for you as a player, coach, or GM? Yeah, I think probably all three there would have been, but obviously when you make trades to win championships, uh, I don't think the day itself, but leading up to to the day, I mean, the day itself is more of a media thing, right? So it's four or five days prior usually, which then you see that again this year. Um, but I think uh, in L.A., when you know, we made a Jeff Carter trade, and we made a Marion Gabrick trade, those are pretty big trades when you look at it. Darrell, these days, how involved is the head coach in those discussions in terms of this might be an option, this might be an option? Yeah, you know what, I think it just depends where you're at with your team, I think. I mean, if there's guys that are way underachieving or guys that you, know, you want to be really 
you, you, you're quite honest as a coach, you back your players. That's what you do. And I said that yesterday. You know, it's, everybody's, everybody's talked about all these players on the outside. Well, if your team is still in the growth part of it, you better be taking and make sure you're mindful of, of your young guys that are having really good years and you're not going to push them out uh, for some short-term fix. I think that the Wranglers are having a – you look at their season and there's some young guys, including those two boys we brought up, that are uh, fairly significant players in the American Hockey League. You've talked a lot about Jacob's uh, energy and what he brings to the game, but are you seeing uh, in, any more confidence in the offensive zone You know, with him? Yeah, I think so. I don't, But his puck play is pretty – you know, it's it's up to standard pretty good for this league. I just think that I think he's given the line a boost, quite honest, with his energy and his pace. Does he give the bench a boost? It seems like every time you see him, he's kind of he's chattering on the bench. Yeah, I think that's his that's his personality. You know, with the Leafs in town, what comes to mind when you think of the Leafs back in the day? Uh, original six, obviously in the Chicago division. All those years, the old Norris, Toronto was in our division. So you had three of the original six. That's always for me is the then it was Toronto, Detroit, Chicago all in one division. That was uh, I always enjoyed that. Players feel an extra buzz on the bench when there's a team like this in town? I don't know, you'd have to ask them. Do you feel an extra energy in the building? I've got extra energy because I'm pretty sure we gotta win tonight. Not really worried about the opponent. <laughs> <laughs> there's the head coach, Daryl Sutter. I don't know if the players are excited about tonight. You have to ask them. Are you excited? I don't know. I'm not really excited. We're going to win. That's what's exciting. Just to the point. Uh, there's your uh, your everyday Daryl Sutter. Uh, Flames game day media availability. Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs coming your way here at 7 o'clock. Flames warm up at 6 o'clock. Take a break. Come back on the other side. Let's check in. With our Thursday regular, time for a chat with Adnan Enverk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast that's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Closing out the hour on this Thursday afternoon, Flames game day tonight, by going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline Chat with our Thursday regular MLB, NHL Network, and of course, the Cinephile Podcast. It is your friend and mine, Adnan Verk, joining us this afternoon. Adnan, how are you, pal? Logan, I'm doing great, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, trying to keep up with the uh, the day-to-day madness that is the NHL's trade market right now. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I was working when Patrick Kane got dealt. That day which was Tuesday. And we had Elliot Friedman on, and he's he's like breaking trades as they're happening. Oh, by the way, Ekholm just trades his happening. Okay, thanks, Breach. We'll get back <laughs> in just a second. And then I was on yesterday with Toronto Sports Radio, and I swear, in the midst of saying, well, there's only one guy left in Jacob Chikrin, they informed me he was going to the Ottawa Senators. I said, are you kidding me? I, I, I was stunned by that. Like, the way that they were talking about Jacob Chikrin, all these analysts that I've been working with, and obviously, you know, you're as invested as anybody. I mean, they're like, this guy's a stud defenseman. He's got a great AAV, four and a half million next two years. Like he's gonna make a major difference for a potential playoff team. And nothing against the good folks of Ottawa, but I'm like, wait, he's going to the Senators? Like, okay, maybe they're gonna contend in a couple of years. Maybe they'll make the playoffs next year. But I thought he was gonna go to a playoff contender this year. So I was a little surprised by that. But but your overarching point, I was like, there's no dance partners left. Like we're gonna get to Friday, the trade deadline. Go, man, everybody's gone now. Like I mean. Timo Meyer, I think, is a massive move going to the Devils. Obviously, where I live, as you know, there's a lot of talk around Kane going to the Rangers along with Panarin. Um, but, like, it's, it's funny how, you know, in the past, you'd have a lot of teams waiting until the last second. Now it's like, no, if we've got a good deal, we have failed our dance partner, why wait? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all for it, but I'm with you. It's heads on a swivel. And, and you and I both know this. There's still going to be trades made on Friday just because by, by nature of the beast, but I'm talking about major acquisitions. It feels like all the big names – Maybe Eric Carlson, but like all the big names, pretty much are going where they're going. And Dylan Larkin is the one guy who said, well, maybe if Stevie Wine and him can't come to a deal, and of course he signs the big eight year, uh, 8.7 AAV extension with the Red Wings. So there goes that one. Yeah, it's, it's incredible because the NHL trade deadline has always had the reputation, as long as I can remember, Adnan, of being the, you know, the deadline show. It's why we at Sportsnet and the Three Letter Network 
put all of our chips into Friday morning leading up to the trade deadline. And you got you know it at NHL Network. It's it's why that day's always been so all in for any network covering the NHL because we're used to it all happening in that 12, 10-hour span that starts Thursday night and into Friday morning. I can't remember. This is so – I want to say it's almost like the NBA trade deadline that's like this leading up to it because the NHL's never been this spread out. Oh, 100%. I mean, we, there's there's been moments in the past where you're right, it feels like it's replicating other trade deadline days. But to have hockey like this, it's, you know, it's weird. Like, I always try to – like, in baseball, I always know – it's July 31st, a trade deadline. But, like, you know, in hockey and basketball, it can vary a little bit. Like, it's around this time. But you feel like, well, is it more like mid-March? Is it like late February? Like, it, it depends, as you said, with the sliding schedule. And, obviously, COVID shook everything up. And you know, the NFL trade deadline, nobody cares about, right? Like, it, it happens. But I couldn't even tell you what was the last major trade made in the trade deadline. That's not when stuff gets done. In the NFL, it's all about the offseason. They make their moves and make it work in the cap. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, I just – to think, okay, early March, all this stuff's going to be done. But the good news is this. After that trade deadline, like this last 20-plus games is amazing. It is such a sprint to the finish. And I was looking for all the Calgary Flames fans listening at the Pacific yesterday and saying, man, like I swear a week, week and a half ago, maybe you could have said five teams can win that division. Unfortunately for Calgary now, they're not one of those five teams. I think they're at whatever, 67 points and Kings and Vegas at 75. But like it still really feels like a four-horse race to get to that top spot. Oilers in that mix as well. So it's um, it's going to be a real fight to the finish, man. It's fun. And it's exciting, too, because, you know, especially in the East, and I look at you mentioned, you know, New Jersey and New York and your area. It's like, man, one or – I'm looking at it, I'm thinking at least three teams maybe in the first round, Adnan, are going to go out who went and spent significant trade capital to make a move and aren't going to see the second round. Well, that's the big thing. I keep trying to tell these Rangers fans around me. I go, listen, I like Patrick Kane. I think he's a terrific player. When it's all said and done, he may be the greatest American-born player ever. Like yep. A few more good seasons, he's going to pass Mike Madonna all-time in points. Like, it's amazing to think about. And I get the fact that for the Rangers, this is where he wanted to be. And a motivated player is a real asset to have. But I'm like, let's be honest. Kane this season is on pace for like 58, 60 points. He hasn't had a great year. I know lately he's lit it up a little bit, had that great game against the Leafs. Maybe he'll be inspired in New York. And I got it. He's got chemistry of Aaron previously. Tarasenko's good. But I'm like, have you seen Timo Meyer? Like, Timo Meyer's in the prime of his career right now. This guy's mm-hmm. awesome. Like, he is, he is such a difference maker for that Devils team. And I sat through watching my Flyers on Saturday against New Jersey. 7 nothing final. Logan, I thought about going. I'm like, oh, Newark. I'm like 30 minutes away. Maybe I'll get some cheap tickets. No, thank God I didn't. Because, like, that Devils team, and every time I hear someone say, wow, they're a little bit small up front, I'm like, it doesn't seem to matter because they're so fast and they have such skill. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Obviously, Jack Hughes leads the charge. But I think Myers going to fit in beautifully. And, like, they're, they're ahead of where they should be. Like, I think the Devils are going to be, like, a 90-95 a point team. So, it goes back to your point, which is all these teams investing, all these teams amping up. The Leafs have made all these moves, right? They've got, like, nine defensemen now. I know Sandine's out. Munson's not coming back. But, like, obviously, Kyle Dubas is like, dude, if we don't win this first round, I'm going to have a job. Period. Right? We have to beat the Lightning. I'm losing my job and probably Sheldon Keith. Like, Shanahan stays fine. He's the president. But, like, I think it's seven first-round exits now for the Leafs. Have not been on the first round since 2004. So, like, all these GMs are cashing their chips and saying, let's just get this done. What does he care how many draft picks he gives up? As I said, he may not even be there. So, Leafs lightning, enormous pressure on Toronto to win, or you're going to see massive changes when it comes to the management and maybe the players. Uh, for the Lightning, <laughs> I about the quote the other day by Breezeball. He trades for Tanner Janelle, gives up a player and five picks, and then said, well, it's not like any of those picks are going to help us now anyways. Like, we're trying to win a Stanley Cup here. Like, our window is only so short that we're the Lightning when I keep trying to win. So, Lightning leaves as a juggernaut, and then Rangers-Devils. That's going to be a first-round matchup. Like, that Boston is going to win that division, and you're going to have the Rangers either feel like, no, if we beat the Devils, we could go all the way, or New Jersey beats them. By the way, Carolina doesn't get enough love. They're first place still in the Metropolitan. So mm-hmm. you're right. The Eastern Conference. And forget about who, who's the wild card team. Like, I mean, the Penguins could make some noise. Who knows what they could do down the stretch? I mean, the Islanders, the Sabres might finally break their playoff drought. Tace Thompson's been great lately. So I'm with you, especially the, 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 the wild card spots, the Eastern Conference. Every day it's changing. And, you know, just going back to your point there about, you know, Julian Brisewa and some of these, and I've been on this all week since this trade flow kind of started. And I want more GMs to do what Julian Breezewa does. I want the next GM. If I'm Julian Breezewa, 
Or if I'm Ken Holland and he's done more of that with the Oilers, you know, the last couple of days as well, which I've been really impressed with, the next GM should hate you because you gave up so many draft picks and so many different players, young players throughout your roster because you were in win-now mode. And it doesn't matter who it is. And there's a couple examples that I've used all week, Virk, and it's Toronto with Marner and Matthews. It's Edmonton with McDavid and Drysdale, Or Tampa Bay with, you know, the, the group that they have, including Vasilevsky. These groups don't come around all the time. So what does a 25 to 32nd overall pick really do for you in the NHL? Maybe that guy's a third liner in three years. How does that help Connor McDavid here and now it doesn't you have to be willing to make these big moves or you're forever going to remain in this weird middle spot where you have generational players and talent but you've been too afraid to go out and make the big move to actually help them get where you want to go yeah again our buddy ben ennis on the fan 590 toronto yesterday was making that point to me he goes as much as people want to shame the maple leafs and for good reason the fact they've not been able to maximize all their talent over 20 years and now with this great core of Austin Matthews and the way that Marner's play this year is sublime. And obviously Tavares still in the mix. Nylander's going to have like 90 points if he's almost 80 right now. Like it's going to be a real shame if Toronto doesn't do anything. But you can really make the case, as you said, that the, the Oilers are even more disappointed. Like, like David last night was so ridiculous. If oh. you watch the hockey game, because this guy is so gifted. He is so much better than everybody else. Like he's going to have the most goals, assists, and points. He can have, he's, he's on pace for 68 goals at 156 points. If he gets to 70 and 150, no one's done that since Mario in the mid-90s. Bernie Nichols did it with the Kings, like, like 92, 93. Like, those are just like, video game numbers. And if you tell me, okay, I know the Oilers won on 4 against our Flames last year, but weren't able to make a deep run. If you tell me, like, you, I think they've got three more years of McDavid after this season. If you see the Oilers don't win a cup or don't even make it to a cup final, like, that's embarrassing. Like, you, you can't have two of the top five players in the sport, McDavid and Drysaddle, and not make a push. Now, this year, maybe it's different because they've got a better supporting cast, Dujan Hopkins and Kane, and Campbell's bounce back, and Matt Skinner could be an answer, perhaps. But ultimately, as you said, who cares? Like, I see some of these picks, and I go, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. It's so much different than the NFL, right? In the NFL, a first-round pick is very valuable. 100%. You know, oh I mean, I, right? A first-round pick, you go, no, that guy is a starting player, for the next six to seven, eight years. Like if it's top 10, you go, that could be our left tackle for 12 years. That could be Joe Thomas. You go, oh my God. So first round picks feel so special, but I'm with you in hockey. I'm like, what's the success rate, especially like from pick 20 to 32, like maybe a third of those guys pan out. Like who cares? Like I'm with you. I, I never had an issue with giving up picks. I'm like, whatever, like it might work out. It may not probably won't. Well, yeah. And it's just into your, again, to your point, how do you watch 97 last night and go, anything but I'm going to spend everything possible to get this guy as much help as I can. Like that's to me, that's what I'm sitting there and I'm look, I'm no fan of Edmonton here growing up my entire life in Calgary. And I've, I've seen 97 torch this team here in Calgary for, you know, every single time he's been here since he's joined the league. But from an Oilers perspective, if you're not going out and giving him as much help as you possibly can year after year, you, somebody else needs to be in the chair. Yeah, a hundred. That ends up happening. Just say, okay, what changes need to be made? Because we just we can't have it. Just, un- unfortunately, I can't have Connor McDavid on this team. This sublime talent who might win like you know six Art Roth trophies or seven Hart trophies, and we're not going to win a Stanley Cup. That's impossible. Like if you think of it in other sports, imagine squandering the talent of Steph Curry or LeBron James or we're seeing the Angels, Mike Trout. Like it, it, it just can't happen. No. So I hope for Edmonton's sake, they're able to make a run. Obviously, I know the Flames fans hate them with a passion, but uh, you're right. Watching that game last night, just as a hockey fan, it's a marvel to see. Uh, what's uh, trade deadline look like for you on uh, on the network tomorrow? So I'm actually off, thankfully. I'm a little oh, nice. worried because you had a couple sick calls. Yeah, so I had a couple sick calls. Like, all right, maybe I should be running just in case. But uh, fingers crossed, I'll just be sitting at home, and I, I'll be eager to watch it. It's funny, though. I was working uh, the other night with a couple of Canadians. Stu Grimson, of course, the great Grim Reaper. Uh, Steve Conway, the pride of Ontario, long-time defenseman in the 80s. And we were saying, you know, it's crazy. You know, in America, on NHL Network, we're going to have trade deadline coverage, I think, from like 2 until 5. And we're obviously going to steal the, the coverage from, from here back home. And I'm like, it's nuts. Like, I remember James Duffy telling me his day of going like 12 hours. I'm sure it's the same on sports. Like, I can't even imagine. But I think it'll have a different vibe. And, you know, I'm sure if you're on the radio tomorrow, whoever's doing the shows, it's mm-hmm. like, rather than 
hey, here's what's breaking. It's more like recapping. It's almost like a reset, right? Hey, who is the big winner? Who is the big loser? Who still needs to do a lot of stuff? Like, I look at the Kings, and I go, wow, how are the Kings? I thought the Kings were going to get Chicklin for sure. I said, they might win the division, but they've been a little bit leaky recently, defensively, could use a boost, right? Just traded Jonathan Quick. I'm like, all right, Kings will do something. No. So I'm like, you start to look at, hey, which team that you thought would do something didn't? And that's what's going to feel like an NHL trade deadline is tomorrow. Unless I'm wrong. Unless, like I said, Eric Carlson gets traded or some massive move is still waiting. But big names, the usual suspects are off the board. And, like, for me, the team O'Meyer was the big one going to the Devils, but obviously Kane and Tarasenko and Chikrin, like, it's at this point, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who's left. The cupboard feels kind of bare. Yeah, uh, a couple for you on uh, the major league side of things. We're creeping closer to opening day, and uh, everybody I know, it's uh, a big fan of baseball, has gotten you know a little bit of taste of spring training now, and uh, the new rules. And one of my outstanding producers, Taylor, on the show was uh, a big baseball fan, and she was talking. To you, it's, it's hard to get used to the pitch clock. That's been the the biggest thing. I haven't. I'll admit, I'm never going to watch a spring training game. End to end, Adnan. It's just generally not something that I do. There's other things for me at this time of year to to go to. I'm curious how it'll be in the regular season, but it's been an interesting, you know, getting to know these rules firsthand now that spring training's well underway. Well, I'm with you on anybody who actually watches an entire spring training game needs massive help. I, I think I'm with you. I like watching, particularly the first few innings, just to kind of get eased in a little bit. I was watching earlier the Phillies. I couldn't even tell who they're playing. I think it's the Astros. I was watching them. Yeah, earlier, sure. And, you know, they had, yeah, they, they, exactly. <laughs> what does it matter? So, like, Dave Dombrowski is like behind home play being interviewed by Tim Kirchner, Eddie Perez, Carl Rogers, guys. I'm like, you know, it's just nice to hear the sounds of baseball, right? But I'm like, I'm not, I'm not keeping score, God forbid. I have no idea what's happening. I'm like, uh, spring training is there. It's almost like background noise, right? You're just happy that it's there. Pull the game on. You watch a few pitches, watch a couple of bats. Okay, let me see what else is on. But I think so far, the big news is that the pitch clock is really working. And when I looked at the time of games so far, a year ago, the spring training games were at three hours and one minute. And so far, it's two hours and 39 minutes. And originally, when we had Theo Epstein on, of course, the, the great general manager who is now working for the league, and he told me, because the prediction is the shot clock will trim at least 20 minutes off of games. Last year, the average 90-minute game was three hours and three minutes. And I said, God, it'd be amazing to get to two and a half. He said, well, listen, sometimes that will happen. And I said, then you could say you're as long as an NHL game or an NBA game. Those are two and a half hours. He said, but realistically, we're looking at 240. And I know it's early, but so far, that has been the case. And uh, my buddy Tim Kirsten was telling a great story today about Max Scherzer saying he loves the pitch clock. And he said the other day, this rookie stepped in the box with 18 seconds to go. And Max just stared at him for like 12 seconds. <laughs> He's like, this is pure intimidation. He's like, I'm just going to stare this guy down. And, and I'm following the clock. And away we go. And Pete Alonso, in his first step out of the pitch clock, goes back to Buck Schalter because I can't do it. This is way too fast. I need more time to kind of reset and adjust it. And guess what happened in the second at bat? He hit a home run. Yeah. So guys are going to adjust. Whether you like it or not, you'll figure it out. And this is why you have a couple weeks. Uh, but the next time we talk, the WBC is going to be underway. Shohei Otani just hopped on a jet. He's off to Japan. And that's going to be a lot of fun base for the next couple of weeks. So it's been enjoyable. I'm with you. Like spring training for a couple of weeks just to ease in, kind of remind yourself, oh, that guy's on that team now. Oh, yeah, he got treated there. Get used to seeing Scherzer's and Mets, you know, that kind of stuff, or Verlander with the Mets. Um, and then after that, we're going to enjoy the WBC. And the week after that, the season starts. March 3rd is going to be opening day. So I think normally spring training is too long and too drawn out. But because of the clock, it's actually been noteworthy and actually very useful for these guys. And I'm just thrilled everyone seems in favor of it, right? I, you, I I'm sure I saw a scenario where there'd be players grumbling about it or saying it's not going to work, but everyone's like, okay, it's different, but you know what? It is exactly what the league needs and the sport wants. Faster games, let's pick up the pace. So far, they've done that. Do you think in all of this, the, the pitch clock, the, the you know banning of the shift, do you think this is going to result in actual better offensive numbers across the league? Because I know there's been that conversation before of you know baseball the last 20 years or so, and then you don't actually have to be an above average hitter to be in the league because of how the shift and everything's worked out. I think it's like what 220, 230 is kind of right around where league averages. That's not really an outstanding number. I'm curious if you actually think these would lead to, if you think it's going to lead to more offensive numbers for guys this year. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, there was nothing more depressing to me than when I saw somebody a couple of years ago hitting like 242. I go, God, that's terrible. And then, the research drives would say, oh, he's above league average. And I'm like, what? I go, what's league average? He goes, 236. 
Like you're telling me the league average is 236. So a guy hitting 240 can tell himself, look in the mirror and go, well, at least I'm above average. Like that is just, that's tough to stomach. So I'm hoping we can get back to 250 league average. To me, if you hit a baseball 25% of the time in what is the toughest sport around, that to me feels average. And then I can go back to, you know, criticizing a guy hitting 220. Even if he has a 350 on base and walks down, hits home runs like a Joey Gallo. But to your overarching point, it's good that it's going to move quicker, but is it going to be a better game? You know, just because something is faster doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. You and I could watch a quick NFL game and go, wow, that NFL game better than two hours and 40 minutes. But if it's a 6-3 game, like, who cares? Like, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. The actual sport still has to be compelling and more interesting. And right now for baseball, it's the action that you need more of. The pace of play is one aspect of it. But no shifting. Does that mean all of a sudden guys get more hits? Batting averages go up. Do the bigger bases and the limitations on pitchers throwing over, will that lead to more stolen bases? Because that is fun. That is exciting. Like, I just missed a hit and run. To me, a perfectly good executed hit and run is something any baseball fan appreciates. And those answers I don't know. I, I think the offense goes up a little bit by virtue of the no shift. I, I'm a little skeptical on the stolen bases. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get back to guys like Jazz Chisholm stealing 70 bags and Trey Turner stealing 50 bases. But analytics at their very heart are so risk averse. Mm. You know, they teach them in the front office, you only get 27 outs. Don't give up an out on the base pass unless you know you can do it. But I, I don't know, man. I think some of these guys are pretty smart. They're kind of timing the pitcher by virtue of the clock, right? Hey, there's five seconds left. You got to throw the pitch now. I'm going to take off now. Boom. Um, so I, I hope that there's more offense because that, that really is the end game. It's one thing to work quicker and to work smarter. But is it more appealing? Is it more of a fun game? Like, it'll be nice to go to a game at 7.07 Eastern and walk out of the park at 9.40. Cool. But I'm hoping it's not a 2-1 pitcher's duel. Like, I want to see some runs. And uh, hopefully that'll be the case. Uh, just a couple more for you. And then, Virk, our uh, regular Thursday guest, MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, you quote tweeted this earlier today. Variety's Twitter account was going through some of the best movie sequels of all time. And you uh, retweeted Batman Returns, one of Tim Burton's uh, best Michael Keaton is Batman, Danny DeVito's in it, Christopher Walken, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a great movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites. What I'm curious is, actually, Virk, uh, is Michael Keaton Batman to you? Like, when you think of all of the different renditions of Batman through the years, is Keaton the guy that you think of in your sort of generation watching Batman movies? A hundred percent. You know, I was born in 78. I'm now 44, so 89 was Michael Keaton, Batman. That's 11 years old. That's wheelhouse, right? That to me will always be Batman. Adam West, I guess that's of a certain era if you're, you know, you watch Batman on the TV show in the 60s. And obviously, if you're a young man like yourself, it's more like Christian Bale when you think of Batman, the Christopher Nolan movies. But for me, Michael Keaton was the guy. And me and my cousins, I mean, again, you're 11 years old. You cannot wait. And they had, like, Batman was so omnipresent. You go for, you know, McDonald's Happy Meals or, you know, the Toy Story, everything was Batman, Batman, Batman. So I'll, I'll never forget how excited I was to see that movie, which came out in 89. I didn't know Jack Nicholson, right? Now I know who he is. He's his icon at the time. <laughs> you go, I know he's playing the Joker. Like that is, yeah. I think that's the first Jack Nicholson we ever saw. Then I went and saw Cuckoo's Nest and all those great films he made in the 70s and appreciate what a brilliant actor he was. But I just saw him hamming it up as a Joker. And I, I love that first Batman because Nicholson is so funny and just so ridiculous. He's over the top and Keaton's kind of under the top and, and they kind of make it work. And I think it's a good movie. But I love Batman Returns. Like, I'll tell people that. They go, really? I go, oh, my God. Like, I think it's a great film. I really do. And there's a lot of aspects to it. Burton's gothic vision, great art direction, Danny Elfman's score, the production design. And you got like, three juicy performances along with the great Michael Keaton. you got DeVito as the Penguin, who was clearly having a blast playing this half-man, half-animal, and just the whole dark vision of it. Michelle Pfeiffer, who is so sexy and so slinky as Catwoman, but even when she's Selena Kyle, you can see she's this woman aggrieved and scorned and seeking revenge. And then you have Christopher Walken. Like, Christopher Walken at Batman, like, this is amazing. Him playing Max Shrek. I mean, it's just it's such an amazing cast to get them all together. And like I said, I really think it fit with what Burton wanted to do with Batman. In many ways, I think it was a more successful Batman than the first one was. Then, of course, the third did not work. You no. know, Joel Schumacher comes in. It's good to be right. But, like, you know, Jim Carrey's a Riddler. It's a little ridiculous. The fourth is an atrocity. <laughs> to this day, George Clooney still makes jokes with the fact he's the only Batman with nipples in the bat suit. <laughs> um, and, and then you had Nolan, who's like, I'm going to do something fresh. I'm going to do something different. And I think kind of like Burton. Like, I like his first Batman, but The Dark Knight's, like, one of the great films ever. Right? Yep. Like, The Dark Knight's one of the best films in the last 25 years. So, like, it's almost like he kind of needed one Batman to work out the kinks. 
And then his second Batman knocked it out of the park. And then his third Batman, Dark Knight Rises, I still think is excellent. I just think it, it pales in comparison a little bit to number two, which is, I mean, it's not only a Batman movie. It's just a, it's just a great crime epic. Like the Dark Knight's one of those movies that, I, you know, if someone says to me, what's a movie that everyone likes? I don't find many people who dislike the Dark Knight. I, I can't, I, it doesn't matter your age group, gender, background, like everyone can agree. No, no that's a great film, start to finish. Uh, I remember vividly uh, as a young child watching movies that Danny DeVito's Penguin scared the living crap out of me as a child. Um, and now I look back at it and think of it as what a, what a great acting performance. And I love hearing him talk about the process of getting in that suit and uh, you know all the things they did with the fish and everything to try to make it as, as realistic <laughs> as possible and acting with these penguins that they had. It's just it's hilarious because as a kid, like I said, it terrified me to no ends. Uh, his version of the Penguin. And now I guess, it, it, funny enough, it'll come full circle for you. Who would have thought, uh, Vert, that yeah, as we know we've talked about superhero movies a ton on these hits with you all these years. And in the summer, you'll get to see Michael Keaton as Batman in 2023 as part of the Flash movie. Uh, I imagine that would be reason enough for you to go see that movie. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, man. To see Michael Keaton again as Batman is something I, I've just been waiting to see. Like you said, Seeing the commercial, the Super Bowl was so cool to see him back in there again. And again, I don't know if it's going to be a good movie or not, but Michael Keaton back as Batman, like sign me up. And Michael Shannon, who I love, I believe he's playing like General Zod or something like it. The whole cast is going to be good. Ezra Miller involved as well. June 16th. I mean, Michael Keaton looks great, right? I think he's almost 70 years old, I think. And he's back as Batman. Ben Affleck's playing Batman in the movie as well. So there's there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to Flash. Uh, Verk. There's always something to be excited about when we get to have you on. Uh, always great to chat, pal. Thanks for the time, as always. We'll chat with you again next week. Hey, enjoy the trade deadline. Yeah, I was going to say, man, hopefully there'll be still some trades to be made. Always a blast, my friend. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Take care. Adnan Vert joining us, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast, our Thursday regular here on Sportsnet today. we got to get out of here. we got to make way for Haley Salvi, and she's got Hockey Central 960 around the corner. Uh, more trades happening across the NHL. She'll get you the latest on that. Plus, you just don't want to miss it. He's got one of the best hours on radio going next. That's going to be part of Hockey Central 960. Thanks to my production trio of Cam, Taylor, and John on this Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow for a Friday edition, trade deadline edition of Sportsnet 960. The Fan.